Well, good morning. Can I get a good morning? It is always, always um, part thrill, part terror um, when Pastor Jason says, hey, you've got a Sunday. Um, so I'm excited to be up here and ready to share with you guys um, this morning. Uh, but you should know that I, you know, uh, there's a whole lot of, of uh, you know, Fear and terror at times. You know what I'm saying? Public speaking, don't they say that more people are afraid of public speaking than of dying? So it's worse to be the speaker at the funeral than to be the guy in the coffin. Y'all heard that before? <laughs> Amen. So we are talking about love. And if you have not been around this summer or you're checking River City out, we um, dedicated nine weeks of summer to uh, this series. And I was talking to somebody this morning and saying, that's, that's a pretty long time. And I hope that you guys, have y'all gotten something good out of this summer series? I don't know about you, but I just keep listening to those podcasts. Uh, Pastor Corey's message about gentleness. I was listening to that one yesterday again. And Pastor Jason, there's just a lot of really solid teaching um, that kind of break down the fruit of the Spirit. And it has made me hungry for a life that bears much fruit. Amen. Do you guys feel that way? So this morning, um, we are talking about the fruit, um, the element of love that is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. And I think that that is tremendously intimidating. I think that um, the crux of Christianity is love, right? Everything that we believe in, every part of God's word is held together by love. And I think that um, that is, is a really important, um, important thing. And it's, it, it's hard to define and it can be um, look different ways at different times. Um, so I can promise you that I won't be able to answer every question uh, that you have about love, every concern that you have about love. But I definitely believe that we can take a look at God's word this morning and find several precepts, several truths that we can kind of build um, our hope on and, and, and try to walk out and try to live out um, today. I love the song that we did this morning, Higher, Deeper, Wider. And um, when I was a little girl, I remember singing the song Deep and Wide. Y'all remember this one? Yeah, got the hand motions and everything. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Deep and wide, deep and wide. There's a fountain. Come on, flowing deep and wide. There it is. There it is. And I did not know for years what that song was talking about. I had no idea what that song was talking about until much later and beginning to understand that God's love is so deep and so wide. It is is higher than we can fathom. It's bigger and more all-encompassing than we can imagine. And I hope that you begin to kind of um, maybe have a fresh revelation of that this morning, maybe have a, a fresh take on just how far God's love is, how, how far-reaching, and, and the fact that we cannot um, be separated from that. So we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and what that means is that when you accept Christ and when you invite the Holy Spirit to, to rule and to guide uh, your life, there is this incredible blessing of bearing the fruit of the Spirit. 
And so we're going to take a look at a particular love story that's related to that, what I think is probably the greatest love story ever told. And it goes a little something, a little something like this. God made man perfect in God's image, and God loved man. Is this sounding familiar? And God walked with man in the cool of the day, in a garden, no less, right? We've been talking about fruit and gardens and planting and and seeing that metaphor carried all throughout Scripture. And it was fruit that separated man from God, right? There was a temptation. There was um, something that seemed more desirable than the blessings and the life that God had designed And man becomes separated. And so God, out of his deep and profound love for man, has to come up with a way for man to be reunited. For man to be able to walk in the cool of the day again. And that gift, that answer, that solution was Jesus. God in man form living a perfect, flawless, love-filled life to the point of death, to the point of the ultimate sacrifice. And we're gonna take a look at that in just a second. But Jesus explains it this way. You guys saw part of the scripture um, up on the video. But if you have a Bible, I want you to to grab it. Get a hold of this. We've got a a great chunk of text that we're gonna look at today. John 15 talks about this incredible love story. And these are the words of Jesus. He's talking to his disciples and he's trying to explain this principle to to his followers, okay? So John 15, here it is. It says, I am the vine, the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends 
if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Oh my goodness. I hope that just those words alone are a fresh revelation. They're like just encouraging to your soul. They're a breath of fresh air that reminds you of how this whole gospel is supposed to play out. Whatever discouraging thought that you may have walked in here with this this morning, whatever um, trial you may be up against, whatever prayer request that you would have, there's hope and there's promise in these words, Amen? amen? I would encourage you to maybe even reflect on this passage Later on this week, there's a lot to be digested. There's a lot to unpack. But this morning, we're going to look at four expectations that kind of jump off the page, in my opinion. The first is that God is the vine, and we're supposed to be connected to him, right? That is incredibly clear. It's said several times over and over. He is the life source. God is is what we have to figure out a way to stay connected to, right? So I thought it would be appropriate. We've got our visual up here today talking about love. What better uh, kind of symbolic representation um, than roses? And um, you've got these kind of thicker main vines, if you will, will, and you've got the branches. Everybody see that? Can y'all see that everywhere? Okay. And we all know what will happen if I were to cut this off, it's beautiful, it's beautiful, it's pretty, and we love to give roses as a symbolic act of our love, right? But how long, take a guess, how long will this last in a vase, even if I set some water in it, how long will it last? A couple of days, right? I think my record is maybe like two weeks for a really expensive bouquet that my husband gave me, maybe, I don't know right? (laughs) But we know that it won't last. And this little guy right here who's trying to do something, he's going to struggle to bloom because there's no connection to the life source. Are are y'all seeing this? Right? Now, here's what's so mind-blowing to me and what just keeps me um, incredibly gracious and humble before, before God. I have zero ability to reconnect this branch, right? There's no um, super glue that has a healing power that can reconnect this branch. But Jesus Christ, in his sacrifice, in the fact that he died on the cross, supernaturally, that's exactly what happens to us. We have access, we have the ability to get back to where that life source, where our vine is at. And that this morning is good news. That is the gospel, right? So we've gotta be connected 
to the vine. That's the, that's the first thing. The second thing that I see, that, the second expectation is that we're expected to bear fruit for his glory. We are expected to bear fruit for his glory. Now, Jesus did come and he sacrificed his life so that we could be restored to the vine, so that we could get back to God. But it doesn't stop there. That gift of salvation, that's step one. But in John 10, 10, it says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have life to the fullest. It is not just the end of the story that you accept Christ and that you are saved and reconnected to the vine. Jesus came so that you could have life to the fullest. And we talked, um, if, you, if you were able to hear the, the message on joy, we talked a lot about American culture and that idea of pursuing happiness and all of these um, different, different goals that we have for ourselves that we think will bring fulfillment, right? I don't know about you, but I want life to the fullest. So what does that look like? What is living a life that is abundant, a life that is full, what does that look like? I think it's this second expectation. I think it's bearing fruit. I think it's everything that we've talked about this summer. I think a life that is full is full of joy. A life that is life abundantly is full of patience and faithfulness and self-control. All of those elements that we have been looking at this summer. It's not necessarily more money. Your life isn't fuller because you have more friends. But there is a deep gratification in allowing the Holy Spirit to produce fruit that shines in your life. Is that making sense this morning? that making sense? So number three, we said that we are supposed to love God and each other. That's the third expectation that I see mentioned several times in John 15. We got to stay connected to the vine. We're expected to bear much fruit for his glory. And over and over and over again, there's an expectation that we love. Okay, so it goes, it goes like this, back to our love story. God creates man. He loves man. He walks in the cool of the day with man. God loves man, okay? We get separated, and God, because he loves man, creates a way through Jesus Christ for us to get back to him. God's love is what did that. We accept that gift, and we decide to love God in return. Y'all following the pattern? Okay, but it doesn't stop there. We have to also love, what's it say? Each other. Right, And I think that this is something that um, maybe we kind of get hung up on or, or, or we get kind of, uh, we don't see the whole entire picture. When we talk about love, uh, that seems so human, right? Like the essence of humanity, the essence of being human is our capacity to love. That's God in us, right? If we're made in God's image, I believe that our ability to love, our ability to experience love is divine, okay? But I think that we don't see the whole picture because we think, oh yes, I experience love with my spouse or with my children or with my closest friends. But I think the picture is bigger than that. 
I don't think it's enough to just love the people who are in your inner circle. I think that this is calling us to something much higher and, and something uh, much deeper and, and bigger, that we're supposed to love each other, that there's not a parameter on who fits into qualifying for my love, right? That I'm supposed to, it's all encompassing. It's every person that I work with. It's every ex-spouse who did me wrong. It's every friend who betrayed me. Because if we're willing to accept that the message of the gospel is love, every example that Jesus gives demonstrates this. When he says things like, turn the other cheek. When he says things like, don't go after that man and sue them for all their worth. Right? When he is hanging on a cross and is dying for the very people who put him there. That's the example that we're supposed to be following. So we see this love laid out in a couple of different places, in a couple of different ways. And this is probably the part of the message that I have stressed over or had anxiety over the most. How do you define love? How do you begin to articulate love? I can give you pictures or examples or images. I can give you actions of love. But to nail down love, that's a, that's a, a high task. That's a, that's a tall order. But here's what I think. Here's the best definition that I've heard up to this point. I can't take credit for it. But the best definition of love that I have come across is, is this. Love is the accurate estimation and adequate supply of another person's need. Let me say that again. Love is the accurate estimation and adequate supply of another person's need. So it goes something like this. For God so loved Andrea in all of her sin, while she was still a sinner, is what the Bible tells me, that while we were yet sinners, okay, God so loved Andrea that he gave his son because he knew that she needed a savior. He supplied his son when Andrea recognized and said yes uh, to believe in Jesus, she now gets to experience eternal life. That's how this love thing is supposed to play out. It's supposed to not be seeking what you can do and what you can attain for yourself. Now, I spend a lot of my days when school is in, in session, I'm an English teacher, a high school English teacher, um, and you can believe that we spend a lot of time trying to talk about love because how many of you know there's very little literature that does not use love as its primary topic? right, the poetry, the, the stories and, and, and literature that are trying to kind of wrap around this idea of love. But I would say that English does not do a very good job of helping us to, to have a full understanding of love. I think the Greeks did a much better job of, of breaking this down. So if we look at the original language used for love, 
okay? There's a couple of key terminology that I want to make sure you guys have, okay? Again, we're just working to try and kind of define what this is all about. So the first um, word, and you may have heard this before, eros, is um, one of the Greek words that is used for love, okay? So they have multiple words, not just one. We got to kind of do a lot with one word in English, um, and eros is where we get words like erotic, okay? Eros is very much associated with kind of that sexual, passionate, um, lover type of, of love, okay? And it's, it's kind of possessive. It, it, it asks the question, what can I get for myself, right? And it, at times, you might even see this particular um, usage in the Bible, maybe say like in Song of Solomon, yep, that, that book is exciting. Um, so you've got eros. Another Greek word is phileo. And this is a word that um, kind of conveys the idea of friendly or brotherly love. We get um, the word Philadelphia from, from this word. So you can kind of maybe have that association to help you remember. So like city of brotherly love. Yeah, y'all tracking? Okay, phileo. But the word that we're looking at in all of these scriptures, if we were reading um, the Bible in the language that it was written in, right? It would probably, it would say agape. So that's the word that we're after today. That's the word that we've got to make sure we have a context for. And agape love is unconditional. This is God's love. Agape is the word that is used in scriptures like John 3.16. For God so agaped the world. In scriptures like John 15, we just read, I am the vine and you are the branches. Anytime the word love is used in that passage, we're talking about agape. When we look at Galatians and we're reading the fruit of the Spirit, it's agape. In 1 Corinthians, which is probably the most popular scripture passage talking about love, it's the word agape. So let's look and see what is going on with agape. If you've got your, your Bible still, um, let's take a look. 1 Corinthians 13. This is the passage that you've heard over and over. It's on uh, T-shirts and coffee mugs, and it is said at weddings over and over. Uh, this is the one that will sound familiar to you. So let's, if we can, let's try and look at it with fresh eyes this morning. Let's, let's look at these aspects and, and see um, where, where we measure up, okay? How, how, do you, how do you fall when we're talking about agape love? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I don't know about you, but when I start working my way down that list, this is pretty much how it goes. Love is patient. All right, okay, yes, I, I, I'm working on that one. That Yes, I agree. I need to be more patient with my kids 
and I do love them, and they need to know I love them. Okay, patience, got it. Love is kind. Yes, love is kind. I got this one. I, I have a calendar with my friend's birthdays, and I send out a card, and I send them a text message, and I, I, I hold the door for people when they are walking in a restaurant. I am kind and hold my tongue when, you know, I want to be hurtful, and I just, you know, southern smile instead. Um, Kind, okay, yep, mm -hmm, I agree. It does not envy. Well, I don't say it out loud. Does that count? I mean, is it really wrong to, like, want better things? Is that, like, really terrible? If I see a, a, a nice new car that my friend has, and I mean, is, is it wrong for me to, I, I want a nice car, I want to be safe. They've got this new uh, car where the car seat goes in the front, and the mom sits like, have y'all seen this car? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Um, it's going to be, I need a new car, because my kids need to be safe, right? And we start to kind of feel okay with the things that we envy. Let's keep going. It does not boast. Depends on what day you see me. Um, it is not proud. And then we struggle with this one because we have all of this kind of confusion about you should take pride in your work and American pride and you should be proud of yourself. And we start to associate pride with confidence, thinking that we're capable, thinking that we have it all together. It does not dishonor others. I struggle with this one. I struggle with this one. And I don't mean to. I don't do it on purpose. But if we were, if we were being real honest this morning, yeah, I dishonor people. When I think that I'm sharing a story from work and talking to my husband and I am just really running somebody down, dishonoring them. I'm not giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not looking for ways to serve them instead of serving my own interests. I heard one person say it like this. When you walk into a room, do you say, here I am? Or do you say, oh, there you are. Are you honoring towards others, it is not self-seeking. There it is again. I think that there's something just in our human DNA that feels like it is our job to benefit ourselves, right? Yes. To, pro to progress forward, to become more successful, to make sure that we're treated correctly. There's nothing wrong with that, right? It's not easily angered. Keeps no records. I mean, this list. Can anybody do that? It always protects. Ugh. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always. And what... I realized so profoundly this week, 
probably one of those light bulb moments in my own spiritual walk is that I cannot love this way. I can't agape outside of Christ. Amen? Outside of a perfect and pure love. So you know what this reminds me? I gotta get back to the vine. I gotta get back to the life source because his love is perfect. His love is unfailing. Agape was his idea. There is a chance. There is a way. There is hope for me. I want so desperately to have a 1 John 4, 18 kind of love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Just take that in for a second. You struggle with fear. You struggle with worry. You're you're tied up on the inside about who's gonna let you down next, who's gonna hurt you, who's gonna do you wrong. Perfect love drives out fear. Let me show you how this works in, in my life. There was an instance where I had really been hurtful to my husband. And he had every right to be furious with me. Every right to just lecture me and lay into me and let me have it. And I was ready. Like I, he would have been justified. You know what his response to me was? I love you. And it's moments like that when that love changes you. It heals you. It makes you take a step back and go, oh, are, you, are you for real right now? Are you serious? And it makes you want to honor that love. It makes you wanna work harder to not disappoint that person, to make sure that they feel as protected as you feel in that moment. Amen? Amen. So the question becomes, How do I demonstrate that kind of love? God, I'm not there. I recognize that I don't uh, meet the standard when I look at this list. And it leads us to the fourth expectation that we're expected to bear much fruit. It's not a negotiable area. God commands us to bear much fruit. And the only way that I know that plants and, and trees Uh, bear much fruit is when they're willing to be pruned. You gotta be willing to be pruned. That's that's our fourth expectation. I um, am not much of a gardener, but uh, I planted some landscaping this year for the first time ever. Y'all should be proud. And I have learned a little bit about pruning and it's this incredibly counterintuitive where are my gardeners? Anybody a gardener? You got landscape? You, you enjoy this kind of thing? Okay. It's awesome. Um, the principles of pruning are counterintuitive to what you might think. Pruning is when you come in and you pay attention to what's going on with this plant. 
and you start to examine and you start to find the areas that, that need some help. So like we've got this little, this little uh, guy right here and he's just not looking so great. So I'm gonna you know, just kind of begin to cut back the areas that maybe um, are, are clouding or getting in the way of are starting to kind of choke out the fruit that I want to see. I started looking into this a little bit more and there's three D's to pruning. This is what they tell you. If it's damaged, if it's diseased, or if it's dead, you need to cut it off. Oh, oh. If it's damaged, diseased, or dead, cut it off, right? I was like having church with myself, y'all, when this happened. When I, when I read this, I'm just going nuts because I know that I've got some damaged areas in my heart. I know I've got some areas of disease in my heart. And I want so desperately for the gardener. That's exactly what Jesus called his father. He said, my father is the gardener. And I am so hungry for the gardener to come in and to prune away those areas of my heart. Because here's what I believe. Honestly, this is what I believe. I think that we read 1 Corinthians 13 and we say, yes, I need to be more patient. I will work on that. I need to be more kind. Got it. Add it to the list. And I think we're a lot better at putting effort into doing the right thing. But what happens when you are really kind to your spouse or your coworker or your mom or your mother-in-law? You're super kind in one instance, but you turn right around and you dishonor them. And it gets in the way of the fruit that you're trying to bear. So maybe, just maybe, maybe it works like this. Maybe it works where I invite the gardener and I say, God, I believe that when you start to cut away envy, it's gonna make room for more hope and perseverance and kindness. It's gonna make room for patience. Have y'all ever seen this happen to a rose bush before? It's crazy. You start pruning that, you start cutting some of that stuff back, and whoa. I told Jason, I couldn't have, I couldn't have planned this any better, but I, set, I bought this yesterday, and I set it on the porch last night, and there was one bloom, this guy right here, right here. There were a few other spots that maybe, look, can y'all see this one, like where it's kind of closed up a little bit? And I walked out on my porch this morning, and it was Jesus, y'all. And there were all these blooms all over this rose bush as such a precious reminder that this is what I want my life to look like. I want when people talk about me, I want them to say she demonstrates love. I want them to say in the five attributes that they would say about me. Yeah, she's talkative. Yeah, she's a little bit high strung sometimes. But man, she loves. <gasps> If I can't get that one right, the Bible says the rest of them don't matter. Right. Go, girl. 
if I can't get that one to be evident in my life, the rest of them do not matter. They don't matter. So here's what I've decided, and maybe, maybe this will mean something to you and connect with you this morning. I have decided and been intentional with God, and this is the conversation that he and I are having right now, that I want an opportunity to demonstrate this kind of love. Yes, I'm working on that with my husband. Yes, I, yes, my kids. Yes, my, you know. But I have a relationship in my life right now, and it's not an easy one. Do y'all have any relationships like that? You do love them, and there's a piece of you, you're like, yeah, 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 I love them, but ugh, right? And here's where I'm at with this particular relationship. I am going to do 1 Corinthians 13. I am going to give this person the benefit of the doubt. I am going to be patient with this person. I am going to be loyal when that person does not deserve my loyalty. In fact, that's what loyalty is. Did y'all know that? Let me say it again. <laughs> so you're not loyal when you're just being a good friend. Loyalty is demonstrated when they don't deserve it. You hear me? Loyalty, real love, agape love, is being patient with that person when it's the 18th time. Nora, go to bed for the 18th time, right? Love is forgiving when they are absolutely in the wrong. And you know what else I've learned? It's not forgiveness. I mean, 20 years later, like that's good and God's doing that work in you and amen, praise Jesus, I'm glad you forgave that person. But do you know how powerful quick forgiveness is? Like forgiveness that says, you know what? Okay. Okay. Jesus said, you know how many times? 70 times seven. And I don't know what that number is because I'm an English person, not a math person, but it's besides the point. The message is stop counting. The message is love chooses to forgive. And I think there's power in quick forgiveness. So for me in this particular relationship, when it's unfair and it's unbalanced, and, and this person makes decisions that I disagree with, I can't be angry because that's not love. I, I can't be dishonoring. Even if I feel like I'm right, I, I, I can't do that because that's not love. Let me give you this last example there was a movie when I was a little kid called The Buttercream Gang, and it was one of those real cheesy ones, y'all. Has anybody ever seen it? That would just be like two, of course. I love it, love it, love it. It's one of those, um, there was like a, a, a company where you would order these kind of like Christian-themed types of movies, and they would get delivered to your house. It was one of those. <laughs> the Buttercream Gang. But it had a profound effect on me, even as a little kid. And, and here's kind of the premise of the story. This group of friends live in a small town and they go around doing good deeds. One of the friends moves away and he has a new group of friends who are not do-gooders um, and he gets into some trouble and he comes back to this small town. 
but he's changed, obviously, because of you know, his experiences and the choices that he has made. And when he comes back to this group, he begins to dishonor them and manipulate them and hurt them and take advantage of them. And there's one particular scene in the movie where he actually goes to rob the general store. And the cashier, the owner of the store, he opens up the register and he says, how much do you need? And the guy who's trying to rob him is so confused by this question. He's like, old man, don't you get it? I'm trying to rob you. And he says, if I give it to you, you can't steal it. And that, to me, that's love. And this community decides to keep choosing love. And obviously it's a movie and, you know, the guy, his life has changed and, and he kind of, you know, comes back around. But that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about inviting God to prune away the envy and the dishonor and the mistrust and the unforgiveness and making room for you to bear fruit, for you to blossom and, and to, to bloom. Because here's what we're up against. Second Timothy 3 verses one through four says that in the last days, difficult times will come. Men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's what we're up against. That's the picture, the image of what happens when we don't submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a lover of God and I want to be a lover of each one of you. So here's the question. I've got three of them as we wrap up this morning. The first question is, what area do you need God to prune so that the element, the attribute of love can blossom? Where is that area of weakness in you that kind of keeps trying to choke out the work that God is doing in your life? The second question, what is a situation that you could choose to ask God to give you the opportunity to demonstrate agape love? Where is the area, where is the situation that you could ask God, Lord, I can't do it on my own. I'm not capable but with you I can. Show me what that looks like. Show me what that looks like. What's a specific situation in your life where you could choose? It wouldn't come naturally. It wouldn't be easy necessarily. But with God's help, you could demonstrate agape love. And this is the last one. Would the people that I brush shoulders with, right? Basically, that's just a way of saying your circle of influence, the people who see you um, on a regular basis, would the people that I brush shoulders with characterize me 
with a dominating attribute of love. If you were to ask someone, what are the five things that kind of, you know, when you think about my character, would they say loving? They just love. They just love hard. They know how to love. I hope that God has done something for you this morning that some piece of this message has resonated with you or begun to kind of soften you in some way to seeing that this is what God is trying to do in our lives, that we would bear much fruit.